Hey everybody, James here, giving you guys a little solo announcement ahead of the show. I know you're all super excited to hear me venture out on my own. No, I just have to make the announcement that we did have some technical difficulties when recording this episode. Um, We lost our audio starting around the 21 minute and 40 second mark. We lost audio discussing essentially right after we scored the first goal in the timeline and the aftermath of that. Essentially, Ryan cut out and we didn't know he cut out until after we finished recording, which was quite unfortunate. But hey, what are you going to do? We're all in different locations. We're recording remotely. Sometimes you have these things happen. And at the end of the day, this is free content. So none of you can complain. Just kidding. No, we always appreciate your feedback on anything that goes wrong. But I wanted to get out in front of this one and let everyone know again. So it gets a little clunky around 2140, right after Ryan mentions Solomon Rondon's goal. We then come back and Alex briefly discusses Anthony Gordon's golden chance that never came because Andrews Townsend didn't pass him the ball. And then it skips ahead a little bit to Alex talking about Coleman's uh, error on the free kick. And then it's more or less smooth sailing from that point on. So again, 2140 to about 2330 is a little bit clunky. I apologize for that. You can skip through it. I hope you stick with us. We will do our best to make sure this never happens again. And one last thing before we get going here. A reminder to please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. If you could leave us a rating and review or just a rating, you don't have to type anything, I promise, but the ratings help us out a ton with SEO optimization, help other people find the show. So if you enjoy it, if you could leave us a rating, that would be very much appreciated. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find all of the links to our socials at L-I-N-K. TR.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's link TR.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And definitely, definitely, definitely join our Discord. Invite.gg slash ATP. Top notch Everton community filled with some amazing blues. If you give us a follow on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod, one of the things I've been doing the last couple matches is a post match Twitter space. A Twitter space is essentially a live conference call, for lack of a better term, if you're familiar with the app Clubhouse, which was quite popular several months ago. It's very similar to that, where you have a speaker hosting the room, they create it, people can join the audience just to listen in, or people can ask to come on stage, where they can then speak to the audience. It's kind of just like a more informal post-match format. Um, it's, It's really quick and easy to set up, and it's a way to kind of get people involved and voice their opinion. We are possibly going to look at incorporating those into our post-match episodes moving forward because I think it's really cool to hear directly from the audience and not just read people's tweets. Um, So if you want to get involved, again, follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod. Uh, They're pretty interesting and pretty fun. So I'd love to see as many people in there as possible. And away we go. source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James here, joined by Ryan and Alex for our post-match following Everton's 3-1 defeat at Selhurst Park to Crystal Palace. Everton have now lost each 
of our last four away games in the Premier League. First time this has happened to Rafa Benitez. We've also conceded the opening goal in each of our last six away matches, the longest run since 2017 when we did so in seven consecutive matches under Ronald Koeman, David Unsworth, Sam Allardyce, a shambolic performance in many respects, and we will dive into all of the reasoning behind it and so much more, but we'll start with instant match reactions, and we'll go to Alex first. Rafa out 100%. The entire match, we were chasing Ooh. shadows. Chasing shadows, we were pedestrian. Couldn't barely tug on a shirt if we wanted to. I thought it was very sloppy, and I hated myself for tuning in. Ryan, what about you? I haven't quite got to the point of self-loathing. Um, I do ask many questions how this happened that I ended up following this club, uh, even though I dearly love it. There was I can't really look at that match and think, wow, there was a lot that went well. Even worse, it was just a horrible match and terrible to watch to begin with. It just doesn't look like there's any progress. In fact, it seems like a significant regression. Uh, we have zero identity whatsoever. And uh, I'm not entirely surprised, but things seem like they're going south very quickly. So uh, the, certainly a greater referendum on Rafa needs to happen and happen soon. We'll definitely have one by the end of this pod, I have a feeling, though. Um, we did get a score prediction, though, correct? We did. We had NSNO spelled out, but I assume the, the play on words there is NSNO, the club's motto, which we are falling far short of at the moment by any possible measurement. But credit to NSNO for predicting the 3-1 loss. It is never good when you predict the loss and get it right, but it's better than us losing anyway. And if you were a fool like me and predicted a win. So, um, yeah, diabolical and echoing what both of you said in the instant match reaction. I think this perhaps is a turning point for many blues, even the most staunch Rafa backers, I think will have a hard time defending what we saw on the pitch today, but let's wind it back before the match when we all had our hopes and dreams yet unfulfilled and yet to be crushed and talk about the lineup at the time that it dropped. Yeah, so this week we had Delphin Gomez come in for Gordon and Alan. Alan was apparently injured with an abductor. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, but I think most fan sentiment was excitement at the fact that we were hoping to see possibly a three-man midfield that we were crying out for, you know, after we switched to um, towards the tail end of the Arsenal match. So the question was really, you know, are we going to go 4-1-4-1 or possibly a 4-3-3? Um, time obviously only told. And then Ryan, run us through uh, how Palace looked. Palace has been Just kind of going back and forth on a 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. I, I think it looked, I, I th it looked more like 4-2-3-1 later, but I think it may have started out as a 4-3-3. But either way, you've got Kenyatte and Hughes sitting in the middle and midfield, kind of letting Connor Gallagher run around like a maniac, which he absolutely did today. They were attacking a lot from the wide spaces. Obviously, Wilfred Zaha is the guy that pulls the strings for them. Uh, AU is on the right. He, he got the ball a lot, but honestly, I didn't think he was very good despite having an assist. Um, yeah, I mean, the tactical setup was uh, very, very simple. It was Palace having the ball early and often and us not getting the ball from them. <laughs> uh, there, there's just an issue. Uh, we did we did set up, it looked like initially in the 4-1-4-1, uh, attacking someone in a 4-3-3, but it was all over the place. I mean, it was really hard to actually tell the formation. I thought it was so uh, kind of out of sorts to the point where I'm pretty sure Benitez changed to a 4-2-3-1 about midway through the first half. 
Uh, both were terribly organized. I mean, you had times where you'd have whole gate on left left back, chasing individuals rather than zones and not passing players on to each other. I, I think the bigger issue, though, for me is and one of the reasons why they had so much possession is you got to make a decision that if the if the team's going to hang on to the ball like that, you got to come out of your shell a little bit and go get them, but you have to do it as a collective. So while we were compact horizontally, you know, width wise, we weren't so easy to play through. Um, we weren't vertically. So at times you'd see Richarlison charge at the ball. And and for a while I thought they were trying to take the ball away from Hughes. Like, you know, the short pass, the defensive mid, that's a natural thing. But Andre then would charge up and no one would fill in the gap for him. And and basically what happens is what's happened many times all year in the 4-4-2. So it's almost like the formation didn't matter. It's when, you know, the midfielders swing over to one side and you had Fabian Delph. You thought he'd have to sit, but how many times did he break out of that sitting position and come over to the far end? The corner, or the center halves weren't filling up the space, but really they were smart. They switched the ball a lot. They knew they could attack in wide spaces when we weren't vertically compact. It's much easier to play it around a winger. Like Damari Gray's not a great defensive player. So how many times did they play it right around him? Godfrey was at least aggressive at times coming up and winning the ball. He had a bunch of tackles today. But on the other side, I mean, Townsend was getting played by. He had a bunch of tackles. Once you got by him, we we're in trouble. So, so that's what I saw a lot of. Um, you know, it's just hard. You look at that. It just looks disorganized. I mean, there's no, there's nothing to really yeah. say about it. Um, I would say the way we attacked, though, was still mystifying to me. I, I still don't. I mean, does it make sense to I think we we're 41 percent of our attack went down the right side. Does it make sense to continue to try and attack down the right side with Coleman and Townsend? I mean, almost all our first chances in the first half were Damari Gray. Yeah, it just feels like we're not utilizing the tools at our disposal and playing in a frankly kind of naive way and, and very disorganized as you said maybe it's not the formation I, I, right i mean hamas you said in the discord i thought alan could play with some discipline you're making the joke in was it fifa where you can choose like or, yeah change your tactics like i can change i can change alan's instructions to you know conservative interceptions and stay back on defense why can't he just right. do that in real life which is a joke no. but in reality, like it shouldn't be super difficult to say, here's what I want from you. I don't want you charging out and attacking. And he obviously wasn't playing today, but it's it's uh, an issue with the larger squad where there doesn't seem to be – the players seem to kind of just act in the moment and not think about their larger role within yeah, the system. Yeah, I think it's that compactness. They feel freeing and feel like they have to be aggressive. I thought Delph did make some decent last-minute tackles or fouls. But, yeah, I felt like I've had to eat crow because I really thought Alon could play that role. He did a little bit at Napoli. It just wasn't a pure sitting position. But anyway, going kind of back to the point, I mean, tacking down that right side produced nothing. Um, and the thing is, if at one point he makes that switch to kind of retain possession, that's not helpful if you have no plans of attack. But either way, I mean, the beginning of it still started awful. I mean, even when we did win the ball, it looked bad, did it not? Yeah, I mean, as you said, the first, you know, the first... 20, 25 minutes was essentially all Crystal Palace, right? I mean, we set up, as we said, 4-1-4-1, kind of a 4-3-3 of sorts. Um, but really, we had no cohesion. When we won the ball back, we couldn't do anything with it. You saw constantly the center backs packing, passing back and forth. You saw Holgate with a bunch of attempts at long balls, which never seemed to come off for him specifically, right? That's, you know, that, that's something as simple as, like, that should be keen taking those. Um but even then, like on the counter, right, you didn't see a whole lot of great movement. It felt like the positioning for the players themselves were not were not good enough in order to progress the ball forward, even when they had the opportunity. So, you know, as Ryan mentioned, we saw 
you know, kind of a change towards the middle of the first half um, in, in terms of formation and system. Yeah, and Andre looked like he was pushed a bit higher. It looked like four two three one. At one point, you saw Roth on the sidelines speaking to Coleman, kind of putting his two fingers out, and I, uh, it looked like a slight change in shape. And he said in the post match that was designed to get more control of the game. And he's right in a way. From the thirty fourth minute on to half, we did have more than fifty percent of the ball, which is a miracle. Like I thought, bells would ring out and you know choirs would erupt. Um, but but again, you're still getting it wrong from the start. We've had this dialogue a lot in, in the past pods. Does he get credit for making the changes or? And the problem is, it doesn't excuse you for the thirty-four minutes prior to that, where we absolute garbage. And look, no matter what he did with Andre, he was getting exposed. I can't say he played great. I mean, five bad touches led the team. One key pass, that's it. A couple shots, one on target, two tackles, but he was dribbled past three times. Not surprising. Highest on the team. And while we maybe had a little bit more control, it didn't really matter. And while I think we were probably fortunate not to concede before that change. Eventually, you know, the uh, the time's going to come, and we gave up a goal in the 41st with, while I, I can't say it was along with the run of play, you know, it, it was definitely an individual mistake, and just eventually over time, when you can see that much possession, something's going to happen. I mean, it was a bad clear by Coleman, terrible giveaway by, by Damari Gray. What is Damari Gray thinking here, guys? I mean, is it him? Is it the, is it the defender not stepping up for the ball? I mean, this is... I, I, he's just not good, I guess, in his own third. He's, he doesn't play defense rarely anyway. It has an air of inevitability about it, Ryan, because even though we were slightly improved after th- the formation change, it wasn't. It just wasn't coming off for us. We were struggling. And the only, as you said, Alex said initially, like the only real things that we created were basically giving Tamari Gray the ball and praying that he can create something individually. But in the 41st minute, we concede. It's Connor Gallagher who had been incredibly threatening up to that point, and ultimately it's off the back of an individual error. Seamus clears it across the middle of the pitch to Damari Gray. He tries to settle it, and he plays this bizarre back pass that's really just like a lofted, I don't even know what to call it, if it's even a pass. He just sort of aimlessly... Yes, 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 right, or like sacrificial lane. It was like volleyball where you just set it up for the, you know, six foot nine middle hitter and the poor person underneath that was like, I'm going to get face planted. It was a great set, but it was not a great pass in the context of trying not to concede a goal, which we then promptly did because we gave it away. The hesitancy from, I don't know who it, was it Godfrey at that point? Someone didn't. Yes, it was Keen. I think it was Keen. Again, he's off on that side too, so... It's just the hesitancy, and then they jump on our our moment of indecision and convert, and we're down 1-0. And as I said, it felt very predictable and expected, even though we were, I think, growing into the game slightly at that point. But it's, again, incredibly demoralizing to concede that quickly before half, go into halftime down yet again, and have to dig yourself out of this hole or at least figure out a way to try to. I'll take the good with the bad with Gray, too. I mean, he was 6 for 8 in dribbles. He was individually our most dangerous player. But he's also in somewhat of a free role. He's not a good defensive player. It's very obvious. I mean, he was dispossessed twice. He had four bad touches in that giveaway. So there's good in take, and that that's part of the risk you take. I mean, Rafa talks about the short blanket. That's what we've decided to do. Now, what I don't understand is continuing to try and attack down the right if you're going to leave the guy in the free role. But, but anyway, um, I, I think Everton-Delaware's tweet, I think, is is right, despite a little bit of improvement on the change of formation. 
inevitability, I think, is a good word, James. I think you, you said the right one. Yeah, Everton Delaware uh, said, you reap what you sow, conceding territory and possession from the get-go and expecting a big momentum shift when you inevitably go one down. Dinosaur football. And uh, I think that's the sentiment amongst large portions of the fan base. You look at the halftime stats, outshot 10 to 5, conceded three corners, had zero, 70% possession, essentially 70-30 to Crystal Palace, 89% pass percentage for Palace, Dispossessed six times versus five, and as as it's pointed out in our in our notes here, you you can't counter if you can't win the ball. So if we're conceding possession and we're not really trying to win it back, there's no catalyst to then make a quick decisive attack, which we saw very little of until the very late stages of the game when it was almost too little, too late. And that's where that's where it gets dangerous too, because if if you, if your shape and your system is all out of whack, right? You have players that are not in position. They're constantly chasing shadows. Yep. To the point where you still, even if you can win the ball back, which we weren't, because as we mentioned, then you have no one to connect with. You have no for, further forward momentum either. And, and and I think we saw that with you know essentially in the 58th minute when we had a double sub, which was very uncharacteristic for Rafa in general, right? We've seen him leave subs more late than anything. Um, but we had, but we had Rondon and Anthony Gordon come on for Fabian Delph and Richarlison. That was the kicker. So maybe, maybe Delph made sense. It's the first start in a while, right? 60 minutes. However, Richarlison coming off, you're down one Oh, and you bring on Rondon instead of trying to play them together. Now, Richie was absolutely infuriated. He was thumping his chest, saying things to teammates. You could see one of them, you know, give him a pat on the back like it's all right. Just take it on the chest. And, you know, Rafa was pissed, it seemed like. They obviously had a bit of a discussion. How do we feel about Rich Harlison coming off? One nil down, not even the 60th minute yet. And then, you know, the, the exchange with himself and the manager. I think... Rafa saying that it was a calf issue. I believe he even said that before the match is is reasonable. I, I think there's some merit to that. And I suppose there's a chance that he was just frustrated knowing he was going to have to come off eventually because of the injury. But I don't think so. I mean, Richarlison seemed like he was fine to continue. And I don't get it. You know, I, 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 I like Gordon coming on against tired legs. I think that's a positive, right? I think that's a better position for him. And I think he was somewhat effective, even if the quality's not there in that role. You know, he's providing us legs and energy and, and could stretch their defense a little bit. Yeah, Richarlison didn't really want the hug. Um, you know, Richarlison had 10 touches up to this point. And Rafa made a comment after the match, too, in his, in his interview that he wasn't really involved in the match. But he was involved a lot against Arsenal, so I, I think it's fair to ask the question why he wasn't involved. And when you're conceding possession yeah. like crazy, yeah, that's what happens. I mean, it's one thing to concede possession. It's another thing to not be able to get the ball to your forward ever when you when you do win it. Um, yeah, I got no problem bringing on Rondon. But, I, you know, the other thing is, too, we move Townsend inside again. Ruff has this idea that Andrews Townsend is an inside player. Has he ever played for any length of time inside ever? Hummus? That's no. right. No. No, he and there's not. a good reason for that, too. If you watch him at all, there's no way he has the vision, definitely not the ball control in tight spaces that is required of that type of position. He's fine when he gets a little sloppy, playing in the counter, 
serving up crosses, playing from the wide side. That's what he does. That's what he should do. So I don't get this. Alex, I'm with you. If he can continue at all, drop Ron in deeper, play Richie over top. If you really want to play that stupid 4-4-1-1, fine, you know, and, and, and do what he used to do at Newcastle, winning balls, laying them off for other people to score. But I, I just, this setup doesn't make sense to me. Townsend playing inside. DeCorey and Gomes are the two defensive mids. That is recipe for disaster on the left side. It, or is he treating, and is, is it me, or does he think Andrew, Andrew Townsend has more minutes than any other attacking player in this team? Is that out of necessity, or does this guy really think this is, you know, even an above-average Premier League player and needs to get him in the lineup? And, and more so, is this a problem with Richarlison going forward? I mean, there is a... We, he has a history of alienating players. He's already alienated Dean. Yes, fine. That could be some Dean's fault. There's some talk that Alon's not happy with him, although he was limping at the end of last match. I'm sure he's hurt. I mean, Richarlison is pretty temperamental. I thought we've been bending over backwards for him after the offseason. How concerned were you guys that that might be the case? This is yet another person that's going to have a problem with Rafa. It was It was slightly concerning. I do know that a, Richarlison wears his heart on his sleeve. So he's not great at concealing emotion, good or bad. And I know that he apparently takes it pretty personally when he's subbed for any reason. I've never seen him come off as a substitute and look happy about it. But I do worry that given the narrative kind of going on behind the scenes about Rafa alienating the players, that this could be another case of of pushing someone out or being hard on them and as, as you pointed out, he didn't really seem like he wanted any sympathy. He didn't want to listen to Rafa's explanation for maybe why he brought him off. Um, and I agree that it makes sense to bring Rondon on because I think the, one of the reasons Richarlison was struggling to get involved was because he was expected to kind of lead the line and he was just very isolated. So you bring on Rondon to try to take on that role to facilitate Richarlison then becoming more involved. You don't take off one of your best attacking players and replace him with Rondon and leave someone like Andrews Townsend, who up to that point had been largely ineffective on the pitch. And in regard to Townsend, yeah, it's bizarre, although unsurprising because we know he's Rafa's guy and he's, he just seems like he's really in need of a rest. He's uh, been a, I think pleasant arrival to the squad, but he's not a, a complete game changer in the way that Richarlison is. So I just think it was a little silly to, um to move him off. But anyway, we move into the 61st minute, and unfortunately, we concede yet again from a corner, from a set piece. Pretty poor defending again on this one. It, Godfrey is there to potentially make the play, but he kind of just watches it go over his head. James Tompkins tap in 2 nil, and at this point, the away end started to get pretty nasty. You heard some unpleasant uh, references to Rafa's time at Liverpool. Apparently, from those who were there, some first-hand accounts, it got really toxic. Fans yelling at each other and fighting with one another it got really ugly. What do you guys think about that goal? So I, I think I think that goal was somewhat controversial in that in the build-up to it, Zaha fouls. He drags Coleman down by the wrist, right? And that was never called. The ref didn't see it. But Zaha then carries the ball, wins the corner in which they score off of. And I think even the commentators on NBCSN said aloud before it happened, Coleman's going to be really upset if that goes they in. Did. Yes, right? So so it was written in the stars or maybe just in at Sky. Just kidding. Um, 
it was written in the stars, essentially. <laughs> it was written in the stars that, you know, it, it seemed to go, it seemed like it was going to go um, in their favor. But but that's that's just another one of our lar- long-standing issues this season is is set-piece defending. And at that point in time, Godfrey essentially just leaves the back post unmarked for James Tompkins. He walked in. I, I guess he thought maybe he could head the ball. But why? Don't leave. Don't leave him. I mean, you've got the backside corner. You're, that's your zone in the zonal marking. Don't step up out of your zone. You don't need to do that. So I, I don't know what he's thinking there. That's a strange reaction. Um, I can't really even blame Rafa on zonal marking for that uh, as much at this point as I might like to. My reaction was we were talking a little bit on the Discord about you know being objective and, and not being overly emotional like some people are out there and people just take to social media and just blah, 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 you know, blurt out stuff. My reaction immediately was get this guy out of our club. I mean, it was it was absolutely emotional, and and I've tried to be measured and reasonable about this guy when it's pretty obvious what how you guys know how I feel. Um, but we I've seen this already for this guy. He was a terrible hire to begin with, and this is so predictable. And my fear is that it's going to get worse. But without making an overall referendum, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, my initial reaction was we got to get this guy out of here. We're an absolute utter disaster. Um, but I will say this. I do feel like we improved a little bit from this point on. And sure enough, in the 69th, we finally got one back to make it 2-1. We saw in like the 71st minute, for example, Ducore got called um, for foul. I think he got a yellow and he goes absolutely berserk, right? But then in the 74th minute, right? So this comes down to our, our main man, Andrews Townsend. But essentially, we get a corner. We get it up the field. Rondon lays it off to Andrus Townsend, right? But essentially, Gordon was on his right-hand shoulder, wide open, right? Wide open, 10 yards from net. All Townsend had to do was lay it off to the right. Gordon was screaming for it. And what happens? He decides to take the shot. And it was absolutely inconsequential. And that right there shows you. like, I mean, you, you can't concede possession as much as we do. And then when you finally get an opportunity that good, make that decision. That that is that is a huge crux to our issues this season. It was huge, but before we go there, I just wanted to to quickly touch on just kind of the nature of the goal and us sort of responding, but not until we went down two nil. Like it just too little, too late, and we almost got the second goal. And Palace started to, I think, show a little fear, and as a result, started kicking out, and it, it took on that ridiculously over physical nature that. Andy Madley completely lost control of, but again, the less said on him, the better, but um, yeah, that Gordon chance or Gordon, what should have been a Gordon chance will loom long in the memory because have we equalized there? It's huge. There's still plenty of time to play. You could, you've got all the momentum. You can go for the winner. Alas, we waste it and we move on. Yeah. I mean, as the captain, right? Like we've, we've seen Seamus Coleman make some individual mistakes more recently, um, more frequently in recent times. And you have to admit this is one of them. Although, obviously, it was the 93rd minute, right? But to make the decision to take the free kick short, and the only thing you can say is he just thought it would get called back because the player was in the way, except for the fact that he didn't touch the player with the ball, and it was directionless to the top of the box, and gave his teammates essentially no chance. He's trying to- and it was obviously, I mean, it was obviously a really, really good finish by Gallagher. But either way, I mean, it's an unbelievable finish. Yeah, but but either way, I mean, that is that is a nail in the coffin, and that that sums it up right there. 
but it, to me, it, it's a perfect encapsulation of what went wrong for Everton in the second half. Like you get the initial response to get a goal back, but then you're so out of control and just playing quote unquote hard, whatever that means, but very, very recklessly, you need to have a controlled focused response and not just get mad and start slide tackling and hugging people and dragging them to ground. And then Coleman, albeit it's the 93rd minute of with five minutes of stoppage time. So there isn't much left, but you have to be in that moment as club captain, the guy to say, okay, let's slow it down. We don't, we don't have to make this ridiculous rushing movement, try to force a play. It just seemed it was completely out of control and we were punished for it. And rightfully so, because it's a ridiculous decision that was totally unnecessary. And as you said, Alex, I mean, a phenomenal finish by Gallagher, who was incredible today, honestly, in, in a lot of respects, but at the same time, we essentially handed it to them. And that's just inexcusable. It's Coleman moment. trying to be hard, man. We've seen him do this once before, and it was hysterical and amusing when he kicked the ball right in front of whoever it was and took out his legs. And it was hysterical, and we all loved it. It was great. But that's what he was trying to do, and this is not the moment for it. And these guys are senior guys. This is your captain. My Part of my problem is, though, too, if you're chasing the game, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to be out of control and be emotional when you don't have a plan. And I just feel like the plan of attack just isn't there. I understand that the sequencing, the countering, the quick passing, we train all that stuff. That's fine. But I still just don't see a lot of that design. You know, Rafa came here with the reputation of very particular design in terms of the counter and how to attack. But when you're down 2-1, you're not going to counter. They're okay sitting back a little bit. So then what do you do? And and I just, you know, just didn't see a plan. So So look, the second half was better. This may have been for them sitting back. Um, but look, seven to seven in shots. We, we actually won the possession battle barely in the second half and we were 10 to three in dispossession. So we did dispossess them quite a bit. Um, Casey Griffin has a good comment here at C underscore Griff three, one, four. The team can't be disciplined to save their lives. They only show urgency when losing that's down to coaching and culture. And I think he has a point here. I mean, to me, it's too little too late. And that's really a lot of the theme here too. Yeah, and I mean, there's the famous quote, you know, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And it feels like at this moment in time, Everton are not at all prepared for when their chances come. And as a result, you get this kind of aimless and disorganized mess that we watched today. And and, and the end result is Palace created by far the better chances. I don't think anyone would argue that we deserved more from that game. We would have been, I think, very fortunate to escape with a draw, the XG from most sources, had it around 2-1 to one in Palace's favor. The only real chances we created were in the second half, besides Damari Gray going for, like, to, trying to recreate his arsenal goal a couple times, which almost worked and was really our best source of offense on the day. Rondon, of course, had the goal. Um, Townsend choosing to shoot, and then Gordon's chance. Those were the three key moments that we totally we got our butts kicked. I, I'm sorry. I mean, did either one of you guys think we deserved anything more out of this game than a loss? No, I mean James. James mentioning like Damari Gray trying to recreate his arsenal, his arsenal goal, but he was doing that in the first like twenty minutes. So that the need yeah. to do that in twenty minutes tells you how the rest of the match is going to go, and that tells you how he felt it was going to go. Yeah, I think a, an interesting observation here is we talked about the dispossessions and. Over the course of the game, obviously, we had a lot more in the second half. It was 16 to 7 of dispossessions at the end of the match. How many counters did we get out of that? And and that's that's the, the, the crux of the, the whole argument here, you know? The crux of the biscuit 
is the apostrophe, folks. <laughs> is that a phrase? The crux of the Frank Zappa, man. The guy makes no sense anyway. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, Town, I feel Go like on. Townsend was, uh, I think he was five for five in tackles. Uh, although I feel like he got passed around a lot. Godfrey was tackling all over yeah. the place. Holgate four for five. I mean, a little of this is at the sacrifice of shape at times, which is not good. But again, what's the point? You know, if you're not turning this into offense, and again, Townsend, I know I'm targeting Townsend, but I felt like he's been so bad the last couple of weeks, yet, you know, seems like he, you know, there's no accountability whatsoever on that. I mean, he was one for four dribbles today. There's no way he was going by anyone. He did spring Gordon, deserves credit, fouled five times, many of which were just absolute flops. One key pass. I, it just, he's creating nothing, and to move him inside is an absolute joke. Um, there's just too much talent on this team that I feel like is not being utilized properly. I think we hit the officiating. I, I don't think we need to beat this one into the ground anymore. I think we covered it. Um, so I think it's inevitable, guys, that we're eventually going to get this conversation back down to one man. So I don't know who want to jumps in here on this one, but um, we had a lot of comments. I don't know if you guys heard the, the Drunken United football show and their whole joke about the truth is out there and that Rafa is a, it's a conspiracy. He's infiltrated Everton as a Liverpool spy to tank the club. I know I tweeted something like that as a spoof, as a joke, but, but you know, objectively speaking, you could probably make a stronger argument. My point was that he's doing that rather than he's benefiting the club whatsoever. Probably could have used Luca Dean today, you know, maybe uh, that might've helped at least in attack, but uh, the DU football show at DU football show, this match is a hundred percent on Rafa. I don't know if that fa- that that's fair, but does it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it feels like Rafa keeps mentioning, and he did it again today, right? Individual mistakes. We talked about it, a hundred percent fair. There were a lot of in- individual errors that essentially led to goals, whether directly or indirectly. However, however, you're not always put in those situations if you're set up correctly. You know what I mean? If you're being told and you're sitting there in the first 30 minutes with 30% possession against Crystal Palace, you're, you're doomed from the start, essentially, especially with the attacking players that we had on the pitch, too. Um, you know, but Jaden Sherman at Mr. Shermanator 8, right? He mentioned it up. Rafa out. I'm tired of talking about injuries. This was pathetic with good players, with good enough players to win. Should have brought our left back now. He's pissed Richie off. He's got to go. I think that's... <laughs> Again, we don't know what the feeling is amongst players in the locker room, but considering the fact that Luca Dean, you know, has captained the side and I believe by all accounts is considered a leader in the squad, they can't be taking this well and they probably share their own frustrations with him. And in terms of the preparation being on Rafa, you mentioned the dispossessions thing. There was no urgency in the counterattack. It didn't feel like we had anyone deliberately looking to become an outlet. And to me, that's on the instructions being given to them. You know, you had Jordan Pickford a couple of times looking for that long clearance to spring the counter. That was about the only time, other than the three chances we got in the later stages of the second half, where we actually played our within our philosophy, which presumably is be compact, concede possession, but then hit them like lightning on the break. And we did very, very little of that today. And I think that that's just on the execution. Um, in addition to the instructions being given to the players by Rafa Benitez and I just see us regressing week after week. I don't see things improving, despite the fact that we're getting healthier bit by bit. Really, the only missing piece, other than Alon today, um, 
was dominant Calvert-Lewin and sure he makes a big difference, but there's, there's some problems in this squad and, and I just don't feel like Roth is the man prepared or capable of addressing them. It feels like we're playing a style of football that was relevant in the early two thousands and has long since been surpassed by more modern tactics. And he's stubborn enough that he'll just stick to it to the point where it'll be his undoing if it hasn't already. Yeah, and you know, and to Jaden's point about specifically Dean and Richarlison, Dean, a starting French international, right? Richarlison, the starting Brazil number nine, two of the most talented players we've had at Everton in a decade, easily. And now there are rifts between them and the manager. Like, that is not a good sign with how things are going. Two of the most influential players in the squad. So let me ask you this. Rewind back six months. We're looking at, you know, Rafa coming in potentially. You get the choice between Rafa Benitez or you get Dean, Marcel Brands, and James Rodriguez. Which one are you going to take? Rafa over those those three components at the club? I, I would take, of course not. It's I crazy. Would take a, a root canal before Rafa Benitez. <laughs> Forget about, I mean, just period. It was a ludicrous hire that no one supported. But, but so... I think it's fair, though. One thing, I can't believe I'm playing the devil's advocate to support Rafa in this way. Looking at the players, though, let's look at the players for a second. So some of these guys, so when the setup came out, I thought, oh, this should be good. These guys are, you know, form for function. That makes sense. But really, you look at it, Delphin Gomes, like we did our whole team assessment. We talked about who we thought is a Rafa player, who could play that style, who couldn't. Delphin Gomes are not Rafa players. I mean, Delph dwells on the ball. He's a good possession player, a fantastic passer, really. Good ball mover. And Andre is is as well, too. He's good at transition. He has great passing range. You know what I mean? But I, I just, you know, so that combination, even though they're functionally makes sense, it's hard for them to expect to play that rapid counter thing. It's not natural to them. It's not natural to Gray either, and he's done a good job getting him to play that. But I can't help but look and sit and look at these guys at the end of the pitch that were on the field at the end of the game. I mean, here's our attacking combo. Gray, who's in essence a cast-off, who's been playing great. Townsend, free. Gordon, not ready at all to me. Really should be on loan somewhere. Um, no goal contribution so far this year and not particularly close. Um, Rondon was on a free, 31-year-old, unfit, from China. And from China. Uh, in Russia. Sorry, couldn't help but make fun of our ridiculous president and his rhetoric at times. Sorry, Trump. Trump supporters there. That was that was kind of funny, though. Um, I mean, those are your attackers. You look at those four guys and you're just like, that's not. You know, uh, I mean, did you really think that was going to be producing you the goal? And you got Dean out there who's not there. He could attack wide. But no, we have Ben Godfrey who can't attack at all. Yes, I know he had one cross. I swear to God, people. I mean, seriously, I seriously had someone arguing with me the other day that he was more effective than Dean going forward against Arsenal. He had one touch in the box, people. He had like 12 touches in the attacking third. Dean averages like 20-some. I mean, are we seriously arguing who's better and better at supporting the attack? I mean, seriously, shut up. You're just being stupid now. I've seen I've seen that narrative. Like, the people that came out in support of Rafa over Luke, Luke Dean over the last week that? are eating yeah. crow this yeah. after Look, I mean, I, underst I understand saying, you, you know, you can't talk back to the manager and make a show about it. But I am sorry. Luca Dean deserves has a right to, to mention something to him, and apparently he's done it repeatedly. He just had a big outburst or had a big in front of everyone. But yeah, if you're Dean, you're ticked. You take him off set pieces. Why? Does Andrew Townsend look like he's doing anything off set pieces? No. In fact, Dean's, I think, been more productive. We so wasteful they, today. Oh, and they pieces. have been forever. I mean, Gray at least looks slightly dangerous with the right foot. Fine. 
I get that one. But who's better at crossing the ball from the left side? I mean, it's just utterly ridiculous. So that, which is a slap in the face. I mean, it's totally undeserved. I mean, are you not even trying to accommodate to a player at all? And then he's not getting forward. You'd rather attack on the right side. That makes no sense. And then you look at our back line. Is Coleman and Godfrey attacking from wide spaces going to produce that goal? No. And I can't help it. I'm sorry. if you, Unless Babine is crocked, you, you seriously can't try and get a, anything out of him? And you continue to play Towns in the middle. I'm sorry. Alex Awobi, for all his faults, can create. We needed goals. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't give him a look over someone like Gordon, who I don't think is Premier League level at this point. But but the ultimate point is he's not getting enough out of the talent on the field. And it's not just injuries. I agree with Jaden. Well, I think I think the last handful of matches, you know, towards the tail end of such awful form, really shows you how much he trusts or values Awobi and Bameen, yeah, 100%. Yeah, agree. They can't even get a minute. So so today you you take Townsend, who did literally nothing, put him inside instead of Awobi, right? Or instead of just taking him off and switching to a 4-4-2 and let Richarlison play off a Rondon, which we saw him do really well a handful of matches ago, right? All of that to say, Lucas Dean, if he was playing on the left, maybe Godfrey could be in it right back because you know Seamus Coleman needs a break. Great point. Especially mentally based on how many how many mistakes he's making individually game after game after game. I mean, it's great to have your captain on, but at the same time though, that is, those are examples of changes that he could be making if he wasn't so stubborn. Yeah. Or, or fine. You don't think some of these guys are fit for purpose, but you rejected Dunzel Drumfries. Deal was done, man. If Higisa really was lined up to come in on loan too, that's a guy that can move the ball from the back and can play that. Ro- I mean, you start asking questions like, did you do that out of your own arrogance? Did you do it basically because you wanted to be like, no, I'm going to bring in my guys? Man, I hope not. And, and even worse, you move Hamez after the window. So you can't take advantage of any funds that that would have freed up. I mean, I'm sorry. Did magically Al Ryan's interest suddenly just appear after the window and you had no choice? Are you kidding me? No, I don't buy that at all. Anyway, so I, I think it's fair that there's some questions right now about Rafael Benitez and his future. And I know we've talked about this is a strict Moshiri hire. Um, he had no support for the hire in theory, if you believe what the journos have said. Um, you know, I, I, I think what Fabrizio tweeted was interesting. You know, I mean, this is, this is, you know, Rafa has to answer this, right? And you know, he's going to, people are going to ask him questions. So what do you guys thought about this response? Yeah. So Rafa says the team in terms of commitment and desire, you cannot complain about that. It's just that the decisions sometimes are not right. We aim not to repeat those same mistakes in the future. So we're just saying, hey, everything's good. We're just keep making individual errors. And I just see the problem as, as so much deeper than that and, and fundamental to like the, the footballing side of the, the squad and his responsibilities. And again, the complete lack of acceptance of, of any responsibility for setting up the team wrong that we were completely dominated for almost the better part of 45 minutes in the first half is just he's the arrogance of that. To not just say our formation to start, our shape was wrong. I needed to make an adjustment, which I guess he did acknowledge. But I just see this going one way with Rafa. And it seems like today was a turning point for a lot of fans who I don't think no one wanted him. Right, Ryan, you said it earlier. No one wanted him. But people were willing to see how it goes because what else? The, what the heck are we supposed well, to do? Well, some people got brainwashed by his PR machine, and I remember how much flack I took by suggesting that. And people need to wake up. I mean, this is a ridiculous appointee, but as things are going, yeah, seriously, you can't admit you're wrong once. 
say, yes, we needed to change because I got it wrong. He'll never do that. Pep Mitzi gets it wrong. You know, I mean, and that guy you could argue is is arrogant. What what upsets me about this a lot is this is the first time when I watched this team so far. I thought this team had a lot of character last year. I thought they had commitment and desire. Um, they yep. hung in there when they were, you know, when Carlo would sit back and just park the bus. Um, in terms of commitment and desire, do we feel like we could complain about that today? I really feel like this might have been the first match I've seen where I said, some of these guys look like they might be packing it in for him. Am I wrong? Did I imagine that? Did you guys feel that way at all? No, I definitely did. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like there was a lack of energy compared to, um, well, specifically compared to Arsenal itself. I mean, even, even when we were on the front foot, right? I, I feel like we could have seen um, better movement from attacking players. Um, all around defensive work rate could have been better. I mean, I remember seeing Coleman specifically a couple times just allow Zaha to swing in across because he was, you know, essentially half jogging towards him after being beat, right? So um, I saw it as a pretty big issue, even even past everything else. Yeah, and, and further, like, it's it's clear he's starting to lose the dressing room, I think. He, he won't lose the guys he brought in who are his guys through and through, and maybe there's, like, some locker room politics going on there on on the back end. Townsend furiously trying to convince Luca Dean that things are headed in the right direction because Roth is at the <laughs> wheel. But he's done a lot to ostracize and alienate the fan base. And at this point, it seems like there's basically one person with any influence who still supports Rafa Benitez being at the club. We have from El Bobble said that Everton chairman Bill Kenwright has made his feelings clear to Farhad Moshiri, clearly indicating that, uh, He's not in favor, as he never has been. Rafa Benitez's time at Everton Football Club now lies at the hands of Moshiri, who is, from what I can tell, the only guy, and the guy who only guy who was for him to begin with, and certainly the only guy in the Everton camp that still thinks he should be at the helm. And that's a problem because if your whole organization, if this guy's so toxic that everyone and their brother wants him out, but the guy who ultimately makes the decision is still for him. Well, you've got a bit of a, a divergence of views that can be pretty destructive to an organization that just essentially gutted our entire scouting department, our entire physio department, our entire first team coach to, to essentially give this guy more power. And now you're facing a decision where if he goes, there's an, um, there's a massive vacuum left in his wake power just, vacuum. And it, it's just a really unfortunate I just situation. I can't believe how many people are still supported this guy, even after we won against Arsenal. So everything's okay. How quickly did people turn on Carlo Ancelotti, where he was universally loved? I mean, I didn't like the hire, but I mean, I liked the guy. I supported him. I thought he did a decent job. But then suddenly people have made up all this narrative, like he tanked the team and he didn't try or he wasn't interested in the second half of the year. No, he got pragmatic. I mean, he was trying to make Europe and he had a ton of injuries, but I don't see that here. And and I just I'm tired. I, I just don't understand how much more you can defend this guy. And, and it's not because Luca Dean is suddenly a bad football player. I'm, that's the dumbest narrative ever. There's literally no evidence whatsoever to suggest that he's even on a bad run of form. Not, just because you go to the match and watch him does not mean that he's on a bad run of form. Compared to who? He's clearly playing differently. Are we going to sit there and bag on Ben Godfrey for not attacking? No, that's not fair. That's not fair. He's not designed to do that. It's not his thing, especially not from the left. That's crazy. So for me, though, I mean, are we going to still keep falling for this whole the team has spirit stuff that I know the city that, like, I know what Scousers want, so everything's still okay. And blaming everyone else. It's worked so far. He blamed Brands. 
The players are bad internally. They had a fight. What happened? Brands is out. You had a problem with injury prevention, right? It's really worked so far, you know. Mina didn't get hurt at all again. No. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's doing really well, you know, with his rehab. Um, and he's going to solve everything, right? So so nothing's really wrong. It's not his fault he's not playing. Alon's down. Boom. Richie's so hurt he couldn't risk him. He had no problem risking Mina last week. So I'm sorry. A lot of this stuff, it's a deck of cards to me. And uh, my, my issue, so here's the real question. Would another coach make a difference? Alex. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right? I, I, Carlo made a difference with, you know, very, very close to the same starting 11, right? I mean, at, at his disposal, right? Yeah, I mean, he probably could have done a whole lot better if he had Townsend and Gray, let's be honest. So, I mean, yes, there, we saw that last season. I'm sure we'll probably see it in the future, too. I, I just think that we're getting to the point now where Rafa could cause a lot more harm um, than anticipated, right? So so think about just the rifts between Lucas Dean and Richarlison, right? So neither one of them are, are performing that well based on the system. Both of them seemingly getting very frustrated. If they want out, what does that do to their sell-on value, right? That That's sort of the intangible that you're thinking, okay, so now you, now you have two players that want out. The entire world knows they want out. In, in terms of timing at their age, it's it's time if they want out because they haven't been getting Europe and they probably should have been a couple of years ago. So where do we go from there? You know what I mean? You're, you're, on, you're on the bad side of financial fair play. You need their values. You're going to sell two of the best players you've had in the last decade at a lower price than you probably would have wanted. You have no director of football and no one else in the board you know, supports the manager. Where where are we going to go from there? You know, that's a bit of a rant, but at the same time, though, I mean, we there are more issues even than just brands leaving and that sort of thing. I mean, there are a lot of implications on the backside. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of those implications are simply that Rafa Benitez gains more influence. If we're selling, Luka Dean wants out, and it's truly that bad, and there's just, there's no repairing that, and we sell him in January for, as you said, Alex, a reduced fee because our negotiating power is diminished, although he's on a relatively new deal, so we still would have some some power in that case, but I think even you know the player's disposition and whether they want out or not make, plays a factor. Guess who's getting the funds to, to then reinvest in the squad? Rafa Benitez. And I said earlier today, I said, if you don't believe Rafa Benitez is going to be here in 18 months, which I certainly don't, I don't think he should be here for another 10 minutes, much less 18 months. But if you don't believe he's going to be here for a sustained period of time, that every second that he remains in charge at Everton as the manager is a waste of time and going to, to send us further down a negative direction and do more long-term damage than we could have then we then we then we can afford right now because we're already a shambles. Let's I just can't think of who say he is here eighteen months. Who who follows him? I mean, people don't play like this very much, you know, anymore. It's different. I mean, I understand. And the guys who do, I feel like, are good man managers who can get people to buy in. Yeah, that's system. a really good point. But I I just think my fear is that he would purchase players as replacements that are not very adaptable players, and that we couldn't play in a more modern way. And Brands, when he came here, laid it out exactly what's fitting, you know, modern football, blah, blah, blah. But I think it makes sense, and I think we have greater aspirations from that. My other issue is, I mean, do we move this guy? What do we do without a director of football? I mean, ultimately, we had that conversation last week on the Brands episode, or this week, really, and I thought it was it was good. I think, Alex, you were making the point, like, you know, maybe enough guys will come in an interview and say you're crazy that he might change his mind. And I think I suggested that maybe maybe a different director of football just from a personal authority standpoint, a relationship can can work better. You know, maybe that's it. And maybe work better with the existing board and kind of gradually help 
you know, a cultural evolution, whereas Brands is kind of blunt and very Dutch, you know, that type of thing. Maybe that's not the right mix. I mean, seriously, I know I'm thinking of Ted Lasso, right? Uh, where they do the exaggerated Dutch character. Yeah. yeah. And it's perfect. But yeah, someone like a, like a Paul Mitchell or someone at, at Monaco who's, you know, English based and this kind of a little more in, in, inundated to the culture. Maybe that's a, a different type of choice. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I just, I don't think it can get, I don't, the more time you give this guy to make decisions, I agree, you start to go down the wrong path. And, and we knew he's the wrong guy to begin with. He just sends us in a totally different direction. And I'm also not saying, I'm also not saying, and I want to make sure this is very clear, no one here is saying that we need a manager that will you know, give in to all the superstars when they're being unreasonable. Not at all. I'm not even saying don't sell the guys. It really has nothing to do with that. There's a price. Everyone's got their price. You know, this Astro, love this one, Ted DiBiase. Every man's got their price. The point is, like, you know, you can get better as a team by selling these guys. This idea that you can't is silly, but you do need to attract them. And, and it's good to have a system and a style of play driven by a director of football that will ensure continuity even if the next manager doesn't work out. Very well said, Ryan. And, and just one last thing I wanted to, to mention because we did a Twitter Spaces, uh, this new feature on Twitter with people – uh, chiming in and giving their thoughts immediately post-match, and, and people were very well-spoken, and we had Paul the on, and one of the things that he's obviously a, a huge supporter of has been the 27 Minutes for 27 Years campaign, and his overall message was essentially, look, it's time for the fans to look beyond just the individual manager. You have to ramp up pressure on the club, and particularly on Farhad Moshiri, because he's the guy calling the shots at this point, and fans have to make their voice heard, and look, there's various avenues to do it. I think we've made our points on the USA Toffee Pod and all that sort of stuff. But um, it, it, I think he, it's crucial that Farhad recognizes that he's a custodian of the club. He's not the be-all, end-all, and he's not the dictator of the club. And fans, the fans' voice needs to be taken into consideration, and there needs to be transparency and some pretty radical changes implemented at Everton to put us in a position where we can run a successful football organization and achieve what I think is in everyone's mutual interest. And even, I, I really believe, and Paul is the boardroom sense of reason. You know, he's got that. And, yeah. and Paul and I have some, have talked a bit in the past, and I, I got a little bit of that in my background. But what I, what I get a little irritated about is that people need to, to take a step back and really consider what's happening on the field more. And stop listening to uninformed sources that are trying to build up narratives. Think about what you're really watching. Just because the person next to you at Goodison saying this person's bad or this person stinks or other, that doesn't make it so. It doesn't. You know, these players all have very long histories. You know, you should know their profile a little bit. It's okay to do a little bit of independent research and form your own opinions about things. Stop buying into the narratives. And no, this isn't a cry for everyone to adopt stats-based perspectives and things like that. But that's other information that could help. So really, don't reject people's ideas on principle because it's how you've always known, man. It's different now. And I just would encourage people to be independent. But I think we all should have a responsibility to this club and, and inform and push for change, whether we see it at the boardroom level, like Paul's suggesting, or we see it on the pitch and be fair about it. Don't buy into this garbage because the media loves feeding into it and preying on all the insecurities and all the garbage out there, all the stereotypical thinking. And Rafa's doing the same thing with half of his speeches. I just I think it's important for us to look beyond that and really evaluate how our club is going independently, objectively from the ground up to. Well said, Ryan. And on that note, we are going to wrap our post-match episode. Thank you 
very much to everyone for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. I know the results have been largely diabolical as of late, but recording is a great outlet for us. And we hope that listening to it makes you feel even just a little bit better if we agree or disagree with some of your thoughts. But thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave us a rating uh, five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Appreciate that very much. If you want to find all of our social media, you can find all the links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's L I N K T R.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. You can also find our link to the Discord there. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time. And until then, up the toffees. <laughs>